keeping in that same spirit this morning, let's go to prayer and ask the Lord to speak to us today. So if you would, bow your head, close your eyes right now, and just pray that simple prayer, Lord, today, speak to me. And believing that, all God's people said, amen, amen. What a special time of worship today, and uh, it's times like that I think we get uh, a little curtain pulled back of what it's going to be like uh, to be in heaven someday, and, and to just be moved in our hearts and our soul and our mind our spirit, to be totally focused on God Almighty, to see Him for who He really is, and all of His holiness, and all of His uh, marvelous works, and all of His marvelous ways. It's just a, a great time uh, to be a saint and to be a part of God's family, and we are glad that you are are here today. We've been in a series for uh, several weeks now called Witness, and, and what does it mean to be a witness? And we learned that from Acts chapter uh, 1, verse 8, after Jesus has told us that uh, your job is to go and make disciples, and he's, he says, then you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses, and you will testify to the truth about me. You'll testify to the work that I've done in your life. And you will go out into all the world and you will do that as my witnesses. And as we get deeper into this series, we're going to, we're going to learn even more about the how. How are we witnesses to people? How do we witness to people? And today we're going to learn something that is so very simple and yet has a profound effect on our gospel endeavors. Let's begin with the scripture this, this morning, Luke 19. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Luke Chapter 19, Luke 19, and if you're using one of the Bibles provided there for you, just turn it to page 878, 878, because here's the bottom line this morning, is that witnesses for Christ walk with people as Jesus did. Witnesses for Christ will walk with people as Jesus did. We're going to see that through a couple of different contexts this morning, beginning here with Luke 19. If you've uh, turned there, or if you're following along in the app, you might see there that it says that it's Jesus and Zacchaeus. If you've been uh, in the church world for any amount of time, you've probably heard of a man named Zacchaeus. Let's read uh, his story this morning, I'm beginning with verse 1 of chapter 19, Luke's Gospel. It says this, and this is talking about Jesus and the disciples. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. So he worked for the IRS, and he didn't work for the IRS of the Jews, but of the Romans who were occupying uh, the, the country in Jesus' time. And so, uh, you know, man, he was frowned upon. You can imagine somebody in your uh, family, you know, being a, a tax collector for another country that had just taken over your country. That's what it was like. It was just so egregious and upsetting uh, to the Jews. And so that's who he was. And not only that, but he was rich. And he's probably rich because he steals from people. He charges them too much for their taxes. And it says this, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. He'd heard something about Jesus. He thought, I, I want to see who Jesus is. Does he really speak with authority like they say? Is he really as kind as they say? Does he really hang out with tax collectors and sinners and those type of people like me? He had heard enough that it raised curiosity. I want to know who Jesus really is. What is this Jesus thing all about? I hear about these guys and, uh, and I've heard that Jesus does miracles. And So he had heard all these things and he comes to this point where he says he was seeking to see 
who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not. Because he was small in stature. If you ever sang the little song that we uh, sing with the kids that says that Zacchaeus was a wee little man. And a wee little man was he. And so he ran up on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was about to pass that way. So Jesus and the disciples are going through the town. And, and Zacchaeus wants to see who Jesus is. And so he decides, I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And I'm going to go ahead. I see he's coming down the street. I'm going to go climb up in that tree. I just want to lay eyes on him. I just want to see who he is. And so you can see that he's seeking after him. And when Jesus came to that place, Zacchaeus is up in the tree. He looked up and he said, called him by name, Zacchaeus. Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. All the crowds and all the people and, and everybody following him, his disciples are around him, and, and all the people that are coming to him, and he chooses to go to Zacchaeus' house. It says then, Zacchaeus says, so he hurried down and came down and received him joyfully. Joyfully to be recognized by Jesus. Joyfully that it seemed like Jesus maybe wanted to spend some time with him. To walk with him. To get to know him. Verse 7. It says, and when they saw it. It doesn't really identify who. It just says they. But I think we can draw a conclusion by all that's been said in Luke's gospel before and what will come after. This. They were the religious leaders again. Those that, that were the doorkeepers to the kingdom of God. And it says that, that when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now what they didn't realize is they were all sinners, right? I mean, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that is definitely true for these religious elitists. But they have feelings about it. Man, this guy's a notorious sinner. I mean, he's a tax collector. We know he overcharges us. He steals from his own people. I mean, can you imagine this? And then verse 8 says, And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, and look how he addresses Jesus here, because something has changed. Something's happened in his life. Something's happened as Jesus walked him back to his home. Something's happened. There's been conversations here. He says, Behold, Lord. That word Lord there means Master. He just called Jesus his master. He says, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. What happened in a greedy man's heart can be seen here. There's a massive change. And look what Jesus says in verse 9. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Interesting how Jesus, uh, at, the, at the end of this, states the mission again, that I'm here to seek and save found people, seek and save people that know better, seek and save religious types that think they're, they're better than everyone else because they don't sin as much or you don't see their sins or hear about their sins as much. Is this what I've come for? No, the Son of Man came to seek and to save lost but you see when Jesus was walking through he calls to Zacchaeus and it starts a journey with him he starts a relationship with him 
And not only that, but he says, I want to go to your house and really spend some time with you, Zacchaeus, and you can see the results of Jesus walking with somebody. But there's another story I want to share this morning. It's found in Mark's Gospel, chapter 2. So if you're in Luke's Gospel, you're going you're to turn back another book there to Mark, chapter 2. If you're using the Bible that's provided for you this morning, turn it to page 837. But Mark's Gospel, chapter 2, we're going to look at a little section of Scripture here where Jesus calls um, another tax collector, and this time it's to be his disciple. Now, now the story we just read with Zacchaeus actually happened after the story that we're going to read now. This is very, very early in Jesus' ministry, uh, Mark chapter 2, right at the beginning here. This is what it says in uh, chapter 2, going down to verse 13. It says that this is talking about Jesus here. He went out again. So he'd already, he'd already been out before. He went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose, and he followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house... Many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And, and this word reclining means that they're actually spending quality time together. This wasn't just a quick, you know, high and by thing. They are actually spending a lot of time together. They're reclining, they're, they're relaxed, they're having conversations and then look what it says in verse 16. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And isn't it interesting, again, that Jesus ends this story with restating the mission, reminding people of why he's here. And this one, of course, is very early in his ministry, but he spends time with people, with Levi. He calls them out. He says, I want to spend time and build a relationship with you. And, and look, it always seems like there were tax collectors and other sinners there. Other outcasts, other people that weren't going the right way in life, other people that were not honoring God and weren't moving God's direction. They were going their totally their own direction in life. They were like maybe some of us that say, you know, we don't need God. Everything's fine in my life. I mean, I'm at college right now, and I got scholarship, and, and I, I don't need God right now. You know, I'm later in life. I'm getting up there in years, but I've got money saved, and I've got everything that I need. You know, I've got my health, I've got a family. Some of us are, you know, maybe in your, in your mid-30s or mid-40s, and you're just like, life is just pretty easy right now, and, and my kids are pretty good, and I just don't need God right now. And yet, we would all be wise to admit that there's something missing, even when it's good. And when it gets bad, we really realize, or it's even more magnified, what is missing in our life. And we wish someone like Jesus would come and walk with us. Jesus not only spent time with these people, he developed relationships with these people. He called them friends. He brought meaning into their life. He ate with them. He talked with them. He invested in them. And I want you to notice right here in Mark chapter 2, 
the three different places that Jesus goes. There's three different environments in which Jesus goes. Look at verse 13. It says he was out again beside the sea. And I just view that as he's out there. He's just out there in the public square. Jesus is just out there with the crowds and with the people. And then in verse 14, it says that he came to Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax booth. He was at work. He was doing his job. And yet Jesus goes there. And so he's out in the public square. He's coming to Levi at his job. And then look at verse 15. And as, as he reclined at the table in his house. And so he's out in the public square. He meets him at his workplace. And now he's spending time with him in his house. He's gone to his house to spend time with him. Other tax collectors and notorious sinners. But Jesus came to spend time with them. To walk with them. I think there's a lot we can learn and our job as witnesses to be able to take that forward. How can we walk with people as Jesus did? How can we fully live out the witness that we were called to do in Acts chapter 1 verse 8? And the witness that we're called to be as people and followers and lovers of Jesus. I want to share some things with you this morning that will help us walk with people as Jesus did. The first thing is this. As we're walking with people, we need to focus on redemptive relationships. We need to focus on redemptive relationships. When I wrote this, I wanted to use different terminology there. I wanted to write it like this. We need to focus on the redemptiveness of relationships. Do you get what I'm saying? On, on, on the fact and the state that we can be see redemption happening. But then I looked up redemptiveness and there is no such word. And so I didn't put it in there so that all my English teachers would be proud of me this morning. So... Focus on redemptive relationships, which means that you always have an agenda. Do you hear me? Every relationship that you have, and if you haven't done this until this morning, start today. Every relationship that you have, every friendship, every family relationship, every relationship that you have has a hidden agenda. You now have an agenda. Now, sometimes we hear that word agenda in a relationship. We don't like that, right? It's like, well, he's being my friend because he's got an agenda. Yes, if you are a Christian, then I want you to go into all of your relationships now with an agenda, hidden or not. If you need to hide it at the beginning, that's okay. But I want you to have an agenda. And the agenda is that you are engaging in walking with people because of the potential of a redemptive relationship. There's the potential that they're going to know Jesus because of your friendship with them. That they're actually going to get a chance of salvation and going to heaven someday because of your friendship, because you're going to walk with them. And so we need to keep our focus and our mindset there. That's our agenda. That's our end game is that, yes, I'm not going to, maybe the first time I meet them, I'm going to throw right onto them, you know, something about Jesus, and I'm going to throw right onto them, you know, you know have you read your Bible today? You know, do you know Jesus is your personal Lord? Well, that might not be where we start. We start with loving them where we're at. We start with actually getting to know them, finding some common ground with them. But at some point, it is our agenda that we are going to share Christ with them. That we're going to share what Jesus has done in our life. Or we're going to show them a better way to live and, a, and, and the way to salvation and a way to restoration and redemption in this relationship that is broken with God because of our sinfulness. And so if you are a believer here this morning and you're called to be a witness, you now have a, an agenda for every relationship that you have. Now, don't get me wrong here. This is a very, very good agenda. This is an agenda that should bring joy. It's an agenda that should be exciting. It's an agenda that, that is going to save somebody. Save their soul, save their whole life. And I want you to remember in these redemptive relationships that it's okay to have this relationship with someone who is full of sin 
and it's totally messed up in their life, full of sin. I mean, you look at them, and they are so different from you, and yet it's okay to have a relationship with them. It's okay to invest some time with them, and that really leads us to number two this morning, that we're going to invest substantial time in people. We're going to focus on the redemptive relationships that we can have with them, but we're going to invest substantial time with people. Jesus was sharing his life all the time. He was sharing a meal. He was going over to someone's house. He was having people over with his disciples. They were sharing time with them. Even in the public square, crowds were following Jesus, and Jesus was building relationships with people. We need to remember that relationships are really built on two things, time and trust. And Jesus was focusing on both of those things as the Son of God. He wanted to invest some significant time with them. He, he really invested some significant time with 12 of them. But even when he was marching around Galilee with his disciples, you could see that he was focused on building relationships with everyone that came into contact with him. And we need to be looking for those opportunities how are we going to build these relationships, people, activities and sharing meals and having fun and maybe even at Super Bowl parties, okay? Is we are going to invite people into a relationship because, and we're going to remember that they're broken. We're going to remember that they're lost. We're going to remember they're maybe not just like us. They might be a little rough around the edges. We know that their life is maybe messed up. But as witnesses for Jesus Christ... In building this opportunity of redemptive relationships and investing substantial time with people, we're giving them the opportunity to see the faith of God in us. And they get to see it as we walk with them, lived out in daily life. And it can really, really make a difference. So I want you to invest substantial time with people. The third thing, as we walk with people as Jesus did, that we need to learn this morning we need to know is that we need to grow in authentic affection for them. We need to grow in authentic affection for them. Yes, I'm saying that you need to love these people just as Jesus loved these people. What did Jesus do when he, when he came into um, the relationship with Zacchaeus? He says, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree, and after you repent of your sins, and after you quit stealing from people, and after you quit working for the Roman IRS, and after you get your life in order, then I'm coming to your house to spend some time with you. That is not how Jesus do it, but I'm telling you what, there's a lot of Christians today, that would be our requirement. As soon as you clean up your, your mess, and as soon as you quit doing those things, and as soon as you clean up your language, and as soon as you get everything under control, then I'll tell you about Jesus. Then I'll build a relationship with you. Jesus did not do that. All of that happened after the relationship with Jesus. After Jesus had talked to him and said, I want to spend time with you. After he had gone to the home of Zacchaeus and spent time with him. That is when Zacchaeus addresses him as Lord and repents of his sin. and says, I want to return money for all the money I've stolen. I'm going to give to the poor. You can see that that relationship with Jesus changed his life. Completely changed his life. Changed his eternal destination. And so it was because of Jesus' authentic love and authentic affection for them. And that's what we have to grow in. Is starting to see people and having, seeing them in their sinfulness and all the things that maybe bother us as Christians. But we see them with compassion. We see them that they need help. That they're crying out. That they really need the Lord too. 
And we're the ones that are to be witnesses of Jesus and to share with them what God has done for us. And we need to do it out of a place of genuine affection. Because change follows love. Change will follow love. But sometimes it's really hard to get change out of someone that you don't love. But if you see in the scriptures how many times that Jesus loved people and then the change happened in their life, you've heard it said that people don't know how, don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. I think that's so true, and I think Jesus modeled this for us that he had genuine, authentic affection for people that were lost. And so just remember, just remember this. This might help you with a little perspective here. Remember that their current state of being is due to the damage done by sin. Their current state of being that is so messy is due to the damage in their life that their sins have caused. And God comes in and says, I want to redeem that. That is my child. That is my son or my daughter. And I want them to find their way home. And you you will be my witnesses. But you've got to love them. The fourth thing that we can learn about walking with people as Jesus did is we need to understand that these genuine friendships create the indispensable context for further influence. That these genuine friendships that you're forming will create an indispensable context for further influence in people's lives. I I taught a series... uh, couple years ago, three years ago, and we had talked about friendships and how friendships, um, when you open them up and you get close to people, that offers influence into their life. I've even said it this way, that friends, the friendships that you have, the friends that you have, they'll determine the quality and the direction of your life. Why? Why do friends determine the quality and direction of your life? It's because they have influence there. That's what we're after to being God's witnesses, and to loving them like God loves them, as we are actually after getting into their life for further influence. And when you have a genuine friendship with someone, there is an indispensable context that's being built for you to share Christ with them. We experience this in the church. We experience this with one another. Today, there's a lot of religious people that spend as much time as they possibly can with who? Other Christians, right? Why? Because we like the influence in our lives. We know that having Christian friendships and Christian relationships helps us. How much more do the lost need us in their lives and need those kind of friendships and relationships? They need us to be an example. They need to be loved. They need to feel accepted, not rejected because of their sinfulness. We need relationships with unbelievers and unchurched people And when we actually take the time and make the time to build genuine friendships, there will be this indispensable context of further influence in our lives. And you can just sit back and watch what God will do through that. And the last thing this morning is we need to walk with people through their stuff. You're talking about walking with people as Jesus did. We need to walk with people through their stuff, through their situation through their circumstances because Jesus did whatever stuff they had in their life he was patient and he was kind he didn't just push them all the time not all the time there were times where Jesus just waited 
It almost feels like he's waiting to show them love and compassion and grace and to offer them forgiveness of their sins. It was in those times that Jesus was just patient enough to walk with them through their stuff, through whatever was going on in their lives. And now today as witnesses, it's our job to do that. Look at the scripture from Luke, Luke chapter 10 and verse 2, Luke 10 verse 2, and it says this, and he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. A great visual image of this. I saw a painting one time. We used to have this painting here at the church where uh, Jesus is in a wheat field. And, and there's a few people that are gleaning the wheat with him. But as you look down in the wheat, you see these faces. Some sad, some angry, some happy. But you see these faces in the wheat and it represents people. And what he's saying here is, hey, the people need the Lord. And there's millions of them. We'll never run out of the harvest. We just need people that actually go out and do something about it. They'll be witnesses. Because when they encounter Jesus, because they walked with you, and now they're walking with Jesus, they'll never be the same. Reminded me of the story of the woman who was caught in adultery in John chapter 8. It's another one of my top 10 favorite stories in Scripture. It says that Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, had caught a woman in the act of adultery and drug her in there and threw her on the ground in front of Jesus as he's in the temple courts, as he's teaching. They interrupt his teaching to condemn this woman, and they said, Hey, Jesus, the law says that this woman was caught in adultery and we are to stone her to death. What do you say? And they're trying to catch Jesus. I mean, they're kind of agitated at him, all of his claims, all of his love and compassion and grace when they had their system of, you know, religious deeds and religious rules. And, and here's, here's one that's straight from your heavenly father, Jesus. Stone them if they commit adultery. It's interesting because... The, the scripture says that Jesus knelt down and began writing something in the dirt. I don't know what he was writing. No one really knows. I love to speculate about it. Maybe he was writing John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent me. If you believe in me, you'll have eternal life. Maybe he was writing, I've not come to seek those who are found but I came for the lost maybe he wrote something like it isn't the well who need a physician it's the sick I don't know what he wrote but it says he stood up and he looked at all of her accusers and he looked them all up in the eye and he said okay let you who are without sin cast the first stone and then scripture says he knelt back down and started writing in the dirt again Again, maybe he was just finishing the scripture. I don't know what he was writing. Something I'll ask someday in heaven. Even though probably at that moment it won't matter. But it says then that 
all of the crowd that had gathered and all the Pharisees and all the religious cohorts with stones in their hand ready to take this woman's life started dropping their stones. Couldn't you hear it? What it sounded like? Hailstones. Just dropping, drop, 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 drop. And they all left. And Jesus went over to the woman. He helped her off the ground, stood her up. And he said to her this. He said, woman, where are your accusers? And she answered him, I have none, Lord. And then catch what Jesus says. He says two things. He says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more. Again, in a circumstance, Jesus is walking someone through something very, very tough. And yet he says, I don't condemn you. Your accusers are all gone because we're all sinners and we all are in need of grace and forgiveness. And neither I do I condemn you. You need to go and sin no more. Notice that Jesus doesn't leave her in her state. He doesn't leave her there. He just says, go and leave that life of sin. Go and sin no more. I don't know where you're at this morning, but I imagine... Everybody in here can relate to one of those two circumstances. For some of you this morning, maybe you're outside of the grace of God and you, you have never accepted him as Lord and Savior. You've never, never accepted his free gift of forgiveness. You never understood that he loves you so much that he's going to love you right where you're at and change you later. But he wants you to turn to him. And maybe for some of you, that's what you need to hear this morning. Because you have felt condemned and you have felt judged. And Jesus would stand before you as maybe some people are around you with rocks in their hands. And Jesus says, neither do I condemn you, but leave your life of sin. And maybe there's more of us that need to hear that last part. Hey, Christian brothers and sisters, as you're being witnesses and as you're walking with people, make your life attractive to them. How? Because you're going to live like Jesus called us to. And you're going to love like Jesus called us to. And you're going to leave your life of sin and you're going to go his direction. But whatever it is this morning, I want you to answer the call this morning to what God is putting on your heart. And what he's putting on your mind right now and what you're feeling in your heart right now. Respond to that this morning. Let's pray.